G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Ben Smith, a favourite of ours on the overnight crowd. He's always so generous with his time and wisdom. Returns once again to the program this Saturday. G'day, Ben. Hey, Hayda. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Thanks for the time. I uh, hope you well. How's the week been for you? Yeah, it's been, uh, it hasn't been too bad. been uh, busy, but uh, yeah, so, you know, definitely earned for weekend. So uh, <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Love to hear it, mate. Uh, well, we do tend to talk football on your time on the program, but with the modern classic we witnessed tonight in Ash Barty winning the Australian Open, becoming the first Aussie in 44 years to do so, it's just the news we all needed. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was, it was a fantastic match as well. Um, I think, you know, after she took the first set, it kind of felt business as usual, you know. Um, but then, yeah, yeah, Danielle Collins came back really strong in the second set and some unforced errors uh, started to creep into uh, Barty's game and Collins was, you know, had uh, had also raised her level as well. So it was uh, kind of a perfect storm. It looked like we were heading to a third set mm. uh, with Barty down 5-1. Uh, and... Yeah, then she, and I mean, you know, fast forward half an hour and she's won the second set in a tiebreaker. It was, she, she, the way she was able to just problem solve and just work yeah. out, you know, what she needed to do to win, uh, you know, what Collins was doing, what Collins was doing well, what Barty wasn't doing well, and just the fact that she kind of just tweaked things just a little bit, like just, it's just enough to kind of bring the balance of the game, you know, back towards her side a bit more. It was uh, it was pretty special stuff, and it was great just watching, you know, post-game, the the, uh, the celebrations, the fact that they brought Yvonne Goulagon yeah, completely out to right. present the trophy. That was a, that was a wonderful touch. Um, yeah, and, you know, Kathy Freeman was in the crowd, you know, taking pictures on her iPhone. It was uh, it was awesome. It was just a fantastic... Uh, it's a wonderful day in Australian sporting history, and... Uh, I think it was 44 years uh, since the last uh, yep. Australian female uh, winner. So, yeah, and it kind of it felt all tournament-like. Marty, this was just a matter of time. That tonight was just going to be a, you know, a coronation of sorts. And you know, in some respects, it was. But it was a way that she was able to come back from that deficit uh, in the straight. So the fact that she's effectively spotted Collins, uh, you know, <laughs> four games and in the second set, and then went. Okay, now I'm going to start trying, and uh, you know, yeah, it was just—it's something which will ling- live uh, long in the memory. I think of uh, many Australians. And it's just so good to see Barty, who has been, you know, the dominant uh, women's player for the last couple of years, finally, you know, get one on Australian soil because it, we've been kept kind of waiting for this. And, yeah. Um, yeah, this this last two weeks she's been incredible. She didn't lose a set all tournament as well, and so. Uh, it was a masterful performance from Barty, and uh, I do admit, you know, she has had these fade-outs in the past where she's looked really good um, and then just kind of lost control of the game. Games got away from her. Um, but And, you know, today, I think Thorpe tonight had, you know, a very uh, you know, similar vibe about it with the way that Collins fought back so spectacularly in the second set. Um and yeah, no, but you know, credit to Barty, she showed why she is, you know, uh, one of the all-time Australia, yeah. great Australian tennis players. 
First seed uh, to win as the top seed since Serena Williams seven years back. Uh, it felt like we might be headed to a third set early doors, as you were saying. Danielle Collins raced out in the second set, but Ash just reeled her back in to take out the tiebreaker. The dominance that we've seen across the past fortnight, sort of on show once again in that uh, part where she sort of just figured those things out and then uh, went bang. And uh, from there, it was a straight sets win and uh, the title for Ash. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, she was, she was phenomenal. Uh, you know, what you can't really say anymore because she is, she answered every question asked of her over the two weeks. Um, and even the questions that were asked of her were, you know, they were just small ones which she was able to deal with. You know, the fact that she was, you know, so, so good uh, all tournament. And, uh, you know, we all expected, a, you know, Australia expected a win. Um, but I don't think we expected it to be in, in, in this fashion, you know. Um, you know, and I mean, she still won in straight sets, but the way she just hauled in Collins, who was playing fantastic, it should be said, you know, uh, Danielle Collins was excellent. You know, I thought even first set, you know, but the first set kind of got away from her a bit, but I thought, you know, uh, Collins, you know, didn't look completely outmatched in the first set. Uh, she was just, you know, just broken once by Barty. And yeah, um, and second set Collins was excellent, and she she spoke really well post game as well. Um, yeah, yeah that's fantastic. Rubber up to give a speech, um, you know, after losing a Grand Slam final. But yeah, I thought Collins was, you know, her speech was really lovely and you know very touching. And uh, she she seemed to be getting into it a bit with the crowd at times. She seemed to be there, there were a few hecklers out, unfortunately. And mm. um, yeah, Collins did a really good job of kind of staving them off and. Uh, you know, gave it a bit back to the crowd, but you know, they were uh, by the time she had her, you know, post-game speech. You know, I think the crowd was, uh, you know, back uh, being supportive of her. It was just the best, and as you said, uh, expected. I mean, I guess the Australian uh, uh, public sort of felt it was promised, uh, sort of, and Ash absolutely delivered already. An Aussie hero, she solidifies that status with the home title, bearing those 44 years of weight for an Australian and a home title winner. Speaking of Australian heroes, uh, Dylan Alcott, he made it through to his eighth straight Australian Open final. Unfortunately, he fell to a familiar foe in Dutchman Sam Schroeder, but in a big week for Dylan, he was also named Australian of the Year for 2022. Yeah, it was... Um... It was a shame, you know, that we that we didn't get the ending we wanted yeah. uh, for Dylan Alcott's uh, tennis career. Um, just, yeah, what 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 a human being. Um, just, you know, I've been watching his speeches all week, and the fact that you know he, you know, he's embraced his ability. He's yeah, uh, he's uh, you know, living with a disability. The fact that you know he's proud of you know uh, living with a disability. Um, but it wasn't always that way. And it's just, you know, it was a real journey for him and. The fact that it's culminated with him winning Australian of the Year uh, is it's really heartwarming to see. He's a fantastic human being. You know, everything he does for people uh, living with disabilities in that space, you know, he has his uh, Ability Fest, uh, Music Festival uh, over East. Um, just, and just, um, you know, people, I know people might not like seeing a sports person win Australia of the Year, but the amount of, you know, the fact that he has been able to bring, uh, you know, like not him, the fact he's been able to bring wheelchair tennis into the mainstream, mm. uh, you know, to the point where Channel 9 uh, postponed the news during his, <laughs> because he was playing, because he, because it was his, you know, his final against Schroeder. Um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. You know, I think the final, um, 
it looked like he was exhausted, to be yeah, honest. Like that second set, he, I think, the, you know, the past couple of days had kind of caught up with him a bit, which is, a, which is, you know, a shame to see. You know, maybe, maybe it would have been different had he not gone to Canberra. But I think it was more important, you know, for him to go to Canberra to accept that award. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, and the fact that we've now had two. Uh, Australians of the year in a row uh, who live with disabilities. Obviously, the great Grace Tame as well lives with autism, and um, you know, in fact, it's it's really cool cool to see you know um, people in that space getting you know the recognition uh, you know they deserve for all the wonderful things they do. Last one on tennis: the men's final on Sunday. Rafael Nadal on the path to 21 slams, which would move him ahead of Novak and Roger. He takes on the second seed Daniel Medvedev, who has grown another leg at points in the last two matches to make it through to the final. Uh, who's your tip in what will be a cracker of a final? Yeah, it's yeah, it looks like a fantastic final. Um, it's really, I've you know, I think this is one of the first times I've uh, been able to watch. Medvedev consistently. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he's just been, you know, I watched him against Kyrgios, I watched him against uh, uh, Olga Aliesime. Yeah. I may have butchered that uh, surname. Uh, Felix, good. the Canadian. Um, yeah, Medvedev, he's like, I compared him to the T1000 from Terminator because he just <laughs> doesn't, he just doesn't give in. He is, you know, an elite player who just, yeah, I, he's the fact that he's kind of embraced being the, the tournament heel as well. You know, against Curiosity, was kind of winding up the crowd post game, having a bit of fun with him. The fact that you know he called the umpire a small cat since <laughs> <laughs> the past. Um, and, uh, you know, in fact, he had a bit of beef with since the past during that game. You know, accused since the past of being illegally coached during a game. And, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good. Um, you know, it's it's good theatre, and uh, you know, I'm nothing if not a uh, uh, a theatre goer, as most sports fans are. Um, and yeah, no, he's been. But you know, aside of that, he's been playing some amazing tennis. You know, the fact the way he came from three, you know, uh, from two sets down, he was the only, yeah, you know, the only person to come back from uh, two sets down of his tournament uh, was Medvedev in the quarterfinal. Uh, and yeah, he was—he just looked supreme. And even you know, even when that quarterfinal was on a nice edge, you just knew that Medvedev, mm. Medvedev was going to win because he was just you know the shots he was making. You could just tell that there was no answer. And uh, yeah, he'll go in tomorrow's favourite, and I think that's fair. You know, Rafa has been uh, you know pretty consistent. You know, it's the Rafa we all know and love, um, but you know, just a bit older. In fact, you know, he's thirty-five. Had a very good game against uh, Berrettini as well in the semi-final. Uh, did well to survive uh, the onslaught from uh, Shapovalov uh, in the quarterfinal. And uh, yeah, he's done. It's kind of been uh, business as business as usual for Rafa. He's only had one five-setter so far. Um, but yeah, he it, you know it's, it's such an awesome achievement to um, for Rafa to be back at the. Uh, yeah. At the at the uh, at the final, the fact that you know he could be going for Grand Slam twenty one, which would uh, you know push him above Federer uh, and Djokovic in that three way tie. Let's move over to football and uh, the Matildas are through to the quarterfinal stage versus South Korea on Sunday. Matildas with three wins of differing quality and results. Indonesia 18-0, Philippines 4-0 and Thailand 2-1. Before we get to how South Korea got there, any concerns about the tightening up of results across the three matches, Ben, or is that more of a build-up in opposition? 
yeah, I think it's more of a build-up in opposition, to be honest. I think, obviously, the Indonesia game was, you know, um, I don't want to say it was farcical, but, um, you know, the fact, you know, yeah. um, it was it was a very incredibly lopsided scoreline. Um, and, that, that you know, they, there's going to be those sorts of scorelines, I think, when, you know, the, the level between the teams is so drastic. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the uh, confederations want to give those smaller teams, uh, you know, a chance to play in the big tournaments, which is, you know, I think quite quite noble. And you know, if you know, if it helps them develop as uh, nations in the long as uh, football nations in the long run, then you know, I'm all for it. All for and, it yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought the Phil- you know the Philippines really um, gave Australia a good run. Uh, you know, Alan Stajic, obviously, you know, former Matilda's coach, knows the team very well. Uh, I thought it was, you know, they descended really well. And, you know, after a while, it was just Australia just kind of were always going to put a few past them just because they had, you know, all the ball and so much territory. And, um, yeah, against Thailand, it was, um, you know, damage was done in the first half. And then, uh, yeah, I, I think they'll be a bit annoyed to uh, concede, especially, uh, you know, quite late. And uh, obviously yeah. Sam Kerr, uh, you know, you know, got another goal about ten minutes ago to make it safe. But you know, but you can't afford those defensive lapses uh, late. You know, you can't be affording uh, to concede so late. Uh, now we've got to the knockout stage because this is you now Australia were, were always going to win three games from three uh, to start the tournament because they were just better, and anything other would have been you know a disaster. Uh, even if they qualified, you know, even if they still finished top of the group, if they dropped points, it would, there would have been serious questions being asked. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be very different. Uh, very, I'm uh, looking forward to the South Korea game. They should beat the South Korea, uh, but it is very much at the, uh, you know, this is a, you know, they have to be on their game now. This is where it gets to the point where, okay, like, what, you win, um, you know, you get a favor. Hopefully, get a favorable semi-final. But this is—I uh, wrote about this uh, this week. Uh, the fact that you know the Matildas haven't won a trophy since uh, 2010. Uh, they won the, the Asian Cup in 2010, and uh, yeah, they've lost. The, the, they've made it to the final with the last two Asian Cups, but they lost both of them one 0 to Japan. Mm. So this is—it's um, almost you know. I think it's, there's an interesting argument, you know. Is it better for the you know for them to play a good brand of football that that could be successful in uh, you know at the World Cup next year, which is what everyone is building towards, uh, or do they really need a trophy? You know, kind of with that you know that mental burden from them. Uh, you know, they you know they do deserve a trophy for you know all the uh, uh, strides they've made over the last decade or so, but, you know, the great teams don't, you know, only the only the best teams win trophies, you know. You have mm. to, yes, they've been, they've uh, done a lot of good work and they've become, you know, one of the biggest uh, national sporting teams in Australia, but there's a reason they haven't won a trophy in the last 12 years and they, you know, I think it's almost like a mental hurdle they need to clear if they want to win this World Cup uh, next year. 
Matilda's take on South Korea from Pune in India on Sunday, uh, trying to progress to the semi-final stage. South Korea, not sure if they have a cool name like the Matildas, but they've battled their way to this stage, uh, making them fairly hardened for the opposition of the Matildas. South Korea defeated Vietnam 3-0, Myanmar 2-0, and drew with Japan 1-0. And as you were just saying there, Japan are pretty tough opposition, as we know, from their previous Asian Cup wins. Uh, South Korea have uh, performed pretty nicely across those matches to progress, but the matchup on Sunday, it's an important moment in the lineage of this group of Matildas and the coach especially, who's asked to be graded by the performance at the tournament. Tougher opposition does lay ahead on the path to the Cup, but can South Korea stop the Matildas on that path? Oh, look, I think it's, it's definitely in play. I still think the Matildas will be uh, overwhelming favourites, and uh, especially, you know, the fact they were able to secure a late draw against Japan is nothing to be, you know, looked down upon. Uh, they are going to be entering this game all guns blazing. They are going to be full of confidence. Uh, I'm sure they will have done their uh, due diligence on the Matildas, done their homework, and it kind of looms as a, as a potential banana skin. And, uh, you know, I wrote about it this week in my, uh, you know, in uh, the personnel local papers, uh, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there should be a lot of pressure on Tony Gustafsson as coach because I tell you what, like the, the performances I've seen from the Matildas under him have not filled me with confidence that they can win a World Cup next year. And, you know, he's been, he's, like you say, you know, he wants to be, Gustafsson wants to be graded on, you know, how Matildas go at tournaments. Well, you know, now, now's the time. Now's the time to, you know, put up or show up. To the other side of our country's representative teams and the Socceroos, a confidence-building 4-0 win versus Vietnam during the week. It may have just be, uh, built my confidence, though, Ben. But uh, 4-0, you take the three points, you move home happy once you get there. You start to look ahead to Oman on the road on Wednesday. Oman have uh, gone down to Saudi Arabia this week 1-0, but they've also been defeated by Japan 1-0. Both of those countries are on top of Australia on the uh, chase of uh, Group B table to uh, make it through the next stage. Australia had a 3-1 win over Oman in October. Is there a whole lot of difference uh, in the squads between October and this coming week for the Socceroos? Uh, I don't, uh, I don't. I don't think there's a big difference. Uh, I think the pressure has been obviously ramped up considerably. Um, you know, a man's uh, loss uh, earlier this week uh, obviously, you know, helped a bit uh, for sure. Um, you know, I think as did uh, Australia's you know win over Vietnam in Melbourne. Um, but yeah, like so, as we stand, you know, there's three games left in qualification, and uh, there's no margin for error for the Socceroos. Uh, they basically, you know, they're a point behind Japan and four points behind Saudi Arabia. Top two go through automatically to World Cup. Uh, third place goes into a playoff uh, with a, with the other Asian group, and then they go into a uh, playoff with the fifth place South American team, which at the moment, as it currently stands, is. Uruguay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure I can take another no. uh, two. Uh, well, it's, it's, a, it's only a one leg, it's only a one off game this time really? around, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They have, um, it was, it used to be two legs, and now I believe it may be a uh, neutral venue. Uh, but yeah, it's only one game. Uh, so, one game against Uruguay, anything could happen. I'm not sure my heart would be able to take that. Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, the, the Oman game is crucial. If Australia can get a win, uh, Japan and Saudi Arabia are playing each other. So, you know, I'm not sure if it's better for Saudi Arabia to beat Japan and 
move to kind of an unassailable uh, lead at the top of the group, which would give Australia, you know, provided they beat a man, a two-point buffer over Japan heading into those final two games. Mm. Or whether it would be better if, you know, Japan and Saudi Arabia drew, Australia win, and then, you know, you have a three, you know, three teams jostling for two automatic spots. Uh, it's, you know, Australia obviously have Japan and Saudi Arabia uh, in the last couple of games. So, you know, they, you know, uh, they lose to um, Oman, which, you know, definitely could happen within realms of possibility. <laughs> uh, they then have to, you know, ensure they uh, don't lose to Saudi Arabia and Japan just to, to finish third and qualify for that, uh, you know, for that playoff. So there's a lot at stake at the moment. A-League men's action today uh, from Victoria and Queensland. We've seen Western United bounce back from their ungracious loss to Wellington Phoenix with a 1-0 win over Melbourne City. Uh, Lestaka in the 71st minute, enough to get the points. And Brisbane Raw with a 3-0 demolition job of the Wanderers. Akbari scoring and Malusinich uh, getting a brace in action from today, Ben. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, by all accounts, uh, you know, I kind of saw bits of this game. Uh, but again... Very worrying. Western Sydney Wanderers are getting played off the park. Uh, you know, the fact that they're, you know, a 3 0 loss with the squad that they've assembled is, quite frankly, nowhere near good enough. Um, Tom Robinson, uh, his position will be uh, increasingly tenuous. Uh, he has had a lot of excuses to hide behind. I know they had a lot of players out uh, through COVID for this. Game against Brisbane, but I tell you what, you know this this is this team has a lot of depth. This Western Sydney team has a lot of depth. Uh, so you know, yes, they're missing a lot of players from COVID, but also the team that he put out on the park shouldn't be losing three nil away to Brisbane Raw, who have not really met expectations themselves this year, but are obviously you know far ahead of where the Wanderers are. Which you know, if you look at the, if you look at the two teams, you know. On paper, Western Sydney should be the team that should win that game three mm. nil, um, but they have, you know, not shown anything all season, bar one game against Melbourne City, that they deserve to be, you know, a finals team. They have been utterly abysmal, and I, at this stage, I don't know what is keeping Kyle Robinson in a job because <laughs> he has not been anywhere near good enough as manager with the team that. He, not not just a team that the club have assembled, a team that he has assembled, a team that he was, you know, said he, you know, he had his fingerprints are all over his team in terms of squad composition and the way they play, and they just have been absolutely rubbish. And the uh, you know Western Sydney fans, who are you know a very loud bunch, are furious and have been furious, you know, for a while about it. So. Uh, yeah, it's not, tell you what, it's not a fun time to be a uh, Western Sydney fan at the moment. <laughs> That's for sure, mate. And uh, moving on uh, to uh, a bit of uh, Perth or at least some cricket-based uh, news because this is going to sound, sound like a stitch-up to some listeners, Ben, as we're both from Perth, but the Perth Scorchers take home their fourth Big Bash League title, the first team to do so in history of the competition. They fought back from four for 25 to set 171 and then rolled the back-to-back champions on the road all season by the one game. I'm not sure there's enough hyperbole to cover the effort of the performance and the victory. Yeah, it was... Uh... What a what a tournament from Perth Scorchers, you know, they are uh they're pretty damn good, those Scorchers. You know, Saturn is their fourth men's title, uh, and they also won the women's title as well. Uh, a few months ago. It's uh it's a team that is, 
you know, geared to win T20 titles. And, mm. you know, everything they've overcome, I think they played their last, I believe off the top of my head, their last home game, their only home game of the season was December 8th. So, uh, yeah, wow. they've, so they've been on the road seven weeks. Uh, you know, they had COVID scares, they had injury issues, they lost Jai Richardson to the Ashes. Uh, you know, they've lost uh, you know, a few players. They had a lot of games where they were missing players, they had to call players up from, you know, over West. And yeah, it was great to see them, you know, prevail and prevail last night. Uh, they were, you know, after they lost those four early wickets, and uh, obviously it didn't look good for them, but. As we all know, you know this is 2020 cricket. Uh, it can it can change uh, with a swing of a bat. And Laurie Evans and Ashton Turner and mm. their rescue mission was uh, phenomenal last night. You know, just when they needed it. You know, Turner has been up and down since you know had that breakout season a couple of years back. But uh, you know, he stood up on the biggest stage yesterday and he was uh, fantastic. Uh, so yeah, credit to the Scorchers. They have been uh, really really good um, for a long time in this competition. And uh, yeah, it was, it's just good to see, you know. Uh, you know, they they've done it really hard. They've done, you know, I have so much respect for all the West yeah. Australian sports teams at the moment who are, you know, hubbing it over at the moment. You know, the AFL, the two AFLW teams, the Glory Women, the Wildcats, the Lynx. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of others. I managed to miss Perth has a lot of, a lot of sports teams over there <laughs> at the moment, and yeah, no, it was. It was great. Well done to the Scorchers. Uh, they deserve all the credit. It was an incredible journey, and it was finished on a high note. Yeah, I was fairly proud last weekend, honestly, with, what, 85 90% of the WA teams that are out there on the road able to win after the news that they received about the border uh, that very week. A real fantastic effort to everyone involved on and off the field. But uh, staying on WA base for a second, awesome article today by your good self on Oscar Allen. Now, I throw around the name prototype for Oscar because he looks like, um, he looks and plays, sorry, like Nisbet and Simpson cooked him up in a lab to be the next great eagle. And as you said today, he's got opportunity and timing at his door ahead of this season. Yeah, obviously, um, you know, the Jack Darling thing is, uh, you know, quite, I call it the Jack Darling thing. He, he's either <laughs> vaccinated, he's either refusing to get vaccinated or, you know, he's got a, you know, a relevant, you know, a relevant authentic sick note from his doctor. Um, you know, I don't know which one, I don't know which one it is. I can't say to a certainty which one it is. Um, but, you know, you know, so obviously that, leaves a uh, bit of a hole, uh, you know, in that Eagles four line. And Josh Kennedy, you know, he still kicked 41 goals last season. Uh, but, you know, he's going to be 35 by the time the season ends. Uh, this is looming as a curtain call for Josh Kennedy. He is, you know, he is one of the great forwards of the last two decades. Um, and, you know, to continue to, you know, that. The Eagles shouldn't be in a position where they need to rely on Kennedy. Um, and I think even if Kennedy had, uh, you know, well, even if Darling uh, was not absent from the club at the moment, I think Allen would have been the guy to step into that second forward role and Kennedy would have, you know, still been a part of a team, still with the part of the 22, but would have taken a back seat. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's a huge season for Allen. He's got better with every season in the AFL which is, you know, what you want your young players to do. He's been, uh, unfortunately, you know, his versatility has been his biggest downfall, unfortunately. You know, the fact that he's been kind of, you know, pushed back into defence last year. You know, he's had the pinch hit and the ruck. Uh, He is uh, the West Coast next 
you know, great forward, you know, or, you know, potentially is West Coast next great forward, you know, 66 goals from, from his first 59 games. Uh, and that's while being, you know, played as a defender and put him a ruck. And, you know, um, we saw, you know, that Collingwood game, which I referenced in the article uh, um, in today's West Australian, you know, when you put him forward, he can destroy defences. He is incredibly talented. He's got, you know, uh, you know, people I spoke to for the article all raved about, you know, uh, he's got, yeah, he's got great talent, but he's got a great work ethic as well. And he's like, footy smarts are really good. He's got a uh, great, he's a great marker for footy, good goal kicker, you know, consistently good goal kicker. Um, he, you know, he's also, you know, I've noticed they're actually quite handy at ground level as well. He's obviously not going to win the uh, the halftime sprint, but he, you know, he's got a bit of shiftiness uh, when the ball's on the deck. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's looming as a huge season for Oscar Allen, and uh, no, I think he is equipped to be the next, you know, the Eagles' main man for the next ten years. Yep. Uh, I think he's, you know, everyone I kind of spoke to, you know, they think he his ceiling is a very very good AFL forward for the next decade and you know I haven't seen anything when he has played forward to uh discourage you know to discourage that point of view he's a very talented young man uh very driven uh has you know great work great work rate and uh yeah you know he he by all accounts he loves West Coast Eagles football club as well so uh you know even though Kennedy's approaching you know uh his last dance so to speak and they'll and, you know, obviously we're not sure what's happening with Jack Darling at the moment. But, you know, regardless of that, I think Eagles fans can settle in knowing that, you know, Oscar Allen is going to be a very good AFL player for a long time to come. Coming up this weekend also, I uh, agreed on that one as well, Ben. Uh, NFL Conference Championships coming up this weekend. Uh, forget which team you follow in the NFL, Ben. Uh, it's the one no one likes. <laughs> uh, it is the New England Patriots. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I, I had the feeling it was that, actually, after I saw some uh, Belichick uh, getting across your uh, Twitter. But uh, last weekend uh, will be pretty bloody hard to top um, after we pretty much said that every week yeah. since about week eight or nine, to be perfectly honest, of this NFL season. But we're creeping closer to the Super Bowl, where after this week, the two conference champs must survive a harrowing bye week that no one enjoys. Up first, the Manning <laughs> Brady 2.0, as uh, has been bandied about a scooch too early, in my opinion. But the Chiefs take on the Bengals. Uh, which way are you leaning in this one? Uh, I've got to go with the Beng. Uh, sorry, the Chiefs. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry to any Cincinnati fans who thought I was about to tip uh, the Bengals. Uh, I, do, I do love the Bengals. I, I love Joe Burrow. Um, uh, their receiving core is great. It's not just Jamar Chase, who is you know an excitement machine, but also T Higgins is a, you know, a fantastic. Uh, he's a, he's just a really good football player as well. And then you know you got Tyler Boyd as well, who's an excellent you know third option at receiver. Uh, and their defense, which you know, I think coming into the season was a bit of a question mark, has been playing lights out, and uh, you know, kept them in that game last week against the Titans. Uh, they have been awesome. Joe Burrow is, uh, you know, has got better with every week in the NFL. Uh, he is you know, really fun to watch. But that O line the Bengals have just scares me, uh, and not in a not in a good way. You know, Joe Burrow uh, copped. You know, obviously his rookie season ended prematurely because he got sacked and tore his ACL. And then uh, he got sacked nine times in a single game yeah, last week right? against the Titans, uh, which is not good. And you know, like it was that was obviously coming into the season. You know, coming going into the draft last year, a lot of people were calling for the Bengals to take Penay Sewell, who was you know the top ranked uh, offensive tackle, top ranked offensive lineman in the draft uh, ahead of Jamar Chase because 
you know, they already had good receivers without Jamal Chase and uh, they probably need a bit of line help. They weren't Jamal Chase, who is, you know, to be fair, has been pretty damn good. Um, but yeah, you know, their line, the concerns over the line still exist and uh, yeah, they are in trouble, I think. Uh, with the, you know, the Chiefs pass rush has, uh, you know, they've got the likes of uh, Chris Jones, who is, uh, you know, on his day, he is one of the best uh, players in the NFL. He is fantastic. Um, and I think, yeah, I think just this, as we saw last week in that epic between uh, the Chiefs and the Bills, mm. uh, Patrick Mahomes has a flamethrower for a right arm. He is one of the most, he's been in the league, what, four or five years. He's already, you know, on Hall of Fame place. The stuff he does, we kind of, like, it's, he is magic. Uh, he's an incredible <laughs> quarterback. And I just think when you have an incredible quarterback, you know, as, as good as Joe Burrow is, and I love Joe Burrow, I think, you know, that I just think the Chiefs have, their defense can kind of, you know, it's been inconsistent, but they've got enough playmakers on that side of the ball to cause the Bengals some problems. I just think that Chiefs offense is just rolling at the moment and they are going to be, and like, it's going to be so hard for anyone to stop them. All right. Well, that is uh, comprehensive, uh, Ben, if I've ever heard it, mate. Uh, on the other side of things, it's over to Sophie Stadium, where parking your car may cost you as much as the ticket to park your buns uh, costs, if the reports are, reports are to be believed. The 49ers, who everyone gave a sneaky hope last week, laid waste to uh, MVP candidate Aaron Rodgers' Packers, and the Rams, purpose-built to uh, defeat the Bucks, did just that, despite a Tom Brady attempted comeback for the ages. Who makes it out of this match, the Rams or the 49ers? I think the Rams, I think the 49ers were very lucky to win uh, last week against the Packers. Uh, and, you know, their defense was, the 49ers defense last week was insane. It was, they were awesome. You know, the fact, I thought after the first drive when Rogers marched the Packers down, scored a touchdown, I thought, okay, this is going to be one of those games where it's, you know, San Francisco's offense are going to have to match the, you know, the Green Bay one because, you know, the Packers aren't being stopped. Um, but then, yeah, the 49ers turned the screws uh, defensively, uh, really shackled Green Bay. Uh, and then, yeah, winning, you know, Green Bay's uh, special teams cost them, unfortunately. Uh, and, uh, yeah, great great stuff uh, from the 49ers defense to capitalize and then, you know, hit the game winner. Uh, but having said that, I think the Rams, uh, I think Rams are going to win this. I think they are a fantastic Football team, Matthew Stafford, for all the doubts about him, uh, was sublime against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week. Uh, you know, he is, he is someone on his, you know, he, you can kind of live with the fact he's maybe, he's not an elite quarterback because he is kind of, you know, what, a level down from that. But when he is good, he is very good. And I think, yeah, the Rams, uh, I think Rams defense will be able to, Handle the 49ers. I still don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback. Uh, he is liable to do one, at least one dumb thing, probably one to two dumb things a game. But those one to two dumb things can, you know, completely tilt the balance of a football game. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, it should be a fun matchup, though. I'm not, you know, after 49ers defense uh, put up that Herculean effort last week, uh, I'm. You know, I don't want to write them off. I gave him no hope going into Lambeau <laughs> yeah. Field. Uh, and this week, you know, I'm, you know, I still think Rams will win. But, you know, I, after, after what the 49ers defense were able to do last week, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if the Rams, with all that talent, if Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, 
Uh, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, you know, Van Jefferson's a very good number three receiver. Uh, Sony Michelle has had a very good season as their running back. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a hell of a matchup, I'll tell you that. But I think I'm leaning Rams, but uh, 49ers after last week, you know, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. Ben, uh, as comprehensive as it can be, mate. So thank you so much for the time once again. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the weekend. All right. Thanks, Edo. Have a good one. That was Ben Smith, uh, sports reporter for Perth Now Local, with more and more bylines in the West Australian. Also, do himself a favour and uh, chuck him a follow on Twitter, at BenSmith94. He does uh, fantastic work, and we really appreciate his time and his wisdom in joining us here on The Overnight Crowd. But we would love to hear from you on The Overnight Crowd, 0433 98 11 16, the best place to get involved on this, a historic night on The Overnight Crowd. We would love to hear from you, and we'll be right back on SEN just after this. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.